Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, it is that time again, episode 46 for the love of the game. Let's roll. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. All the way up. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Show it what you want. Show it what you need. What you need. My next run game. We ain't never leave. Never leave. Counting up this money. We ain't never sleep. Never sleep. You got V12. I got 12 V. Got bottles. Got wood. Got hat. I'm all the way up. Show it what you want. I got what you need. Need. Shorty, what you want? I got what you need. Huh? Shorty, what you want? I got what you need. I'm all the way up. Huh? I'm all the way up. Huh? I'm all the way up. Huh? Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. For my niggas with Bentley Coops and Rolexes. Kicked the bitch out the room and gave her no breakfast. Had to stash the jewels. These bitches are so reckless. Keep on. I'm talking naughty uptown, showing off for new things. Couldn't take it all, so I gave her um change. She called me top shots, and yeah, I keep a few things. Champion sound, yeah, I got a few rings, and I'm all the way up. All right, all right, all right. It is your boy, ATH, back in the studio, episode 46 for the love of the game. And we've got a lot to talk about, but we are dedicating this episode to the greatest sport. On planet Earth, we are going to give a full basketball episode while I talk about how the Giants signed Sterling Shepard to an extension that, again, when coupled with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, looks terrible. Nope, because I don't care right now. Am I going to talk about the Masters? Nope, because I don't care right now. Am I going to talk about the Yankees and them being exceedingly injured and playing crappy baseball and not being able to beat the Houston Astros or do anything in terms of small ball to win a game? Nope, not going to talk about that right now either, especially because Aaron Boone is a disaster. But it doesn't matter because we are completely focused on the greatest sport that God has ever created, the sport of basketball. And there's a lot to talk about when it comes to basketball. College and pro, we're, we're coming off a great Final Four weekend. We've got NBA playoffs, and uh, a couple of legends are hanging up their, uh, their sneakers. So let's dive right in. First, I got to uh, congratulate the University of Virginia uh, on their first ever NCAA title. Um, what an exciting final four that was. And, and UVA, who normally I can't stand watching them play in terms of the style that they play. They play an exceedingly boring brand of basketball that you don't think is ever going to win. You don't think they'll be able to ever score enough points. But... When you look at the totality of this year's NCAA tournament, they played some of the most exciting games in the tournament. I mean, they survived the uh, the Carson Edwards show in the Elite Eight where that game went into overtime. We like to call him a big Cisco, uh, hit the shot in t- to put him into overtime, and they went in overtime. And then in the, f- the final four against Auburn, there was uh, a crazy ending. We had the double dribble on Ty Jerome that wasn't called. Uh, you had the foul, uh, Kyle Guy getting fouled with .6 seconds left on a three-point attempt when they're down two. Uh, and yes, for all those who are asking, it was a foul. You know, when you close out on a shooter, you have to let that guy land, and he got he didn't give him the space to land. That was 100% a foul. It's a good call. If you call it in the beginning of the game, you should call it at the end of the game. I have no problems with that call whatsoever. And then for Kyle Guy to get up there in that arena and sink three free throws with .6 seconds left, down by two to give them the win, I mean, that's ice water in the vein stuff, and that's the reason he was named most outstanding player, even though I think his teammate actually, Ty Jerome, deserved it. But, man, that was that was some great stuff. And then in the title game, uh, a back-and-forth game at, you know, started off a little slow with them turning the ball over, missing shots, booting the ball all over the place. But, you know, the last five minutes of that game was tremendous back and forth and then going into overtime DeAndre Hunter who's going to be a top seven eight pick in this year's NBA draft who had a really kind of I don't want to say lousy tournament but he didn't like show up in terms of being like a dominant dominant guy well he saved his best for last because he had a great game Ty Jerome was great that entire 
tournament. So congrats to UVA. And for all those, myself very much included, who were ner- was nervous about this Final Four, considering the dominant story in college basketball was the Duke Blue Devils and Zion Williamson and, and the fre- the other freshmen. You know, the... The games were exceedingly exciting. All four games were exciting, compelling. The ratings were up. So it was a really good, good showcase for the NCAA. And it bridged the gap to the NBA playoffs in the last week of the NBA season because March in the NBA is kind of tough. It's a slog. A lot of playoff positioning was decided already, especially in the Eastern Conference. So there was a lot of meaningless games. It wasn't necessarily a great display for the NBA. But, you know, the NCAA tournament was great, and it got us, uh, it got basketball fans, it bridged that gap to what's going to be the NBA playoffs this weekend. So kudos to uh, college basketball for putting on a great show. The tournament's always awesome. I love the tournament, and what we thought wasn't going to be necessarily a great, compelling tournament, considering the lack of upsets in the first round, it turned out to be, you know, a a fantastic tournament, and and the Final Four was was truly fantastic and a great watch. So now, um, you know, that's over. We have the uh, NBA playoffs uh, upon us this weekend starting on Saturday. But before we get into the playoff preview, um, and I have a special recurring guest to uh, talk about playoff preview, we got to tie a knot on what was the regular season. And, And sort of the bombshell of the week was one of the stranger stories of the year. Magic Johnson, the most beloved Los Angeles Laker in their storied history, the president of operations, out of the blue, steps down as president of operations, just uh, gets up and quits. He didn't tell his boss, owner Jeannie Buss. He didn't tell general manager Rob Polinka. He didn't tell coach Luke Walton. Didn't tell anybody. Just saw a group of reporters and basically said, I'm stepping down. And he sounded like really ridiculous in terms of what he was saying in that press conference. He was getting all teary-eyed. He was talking about how he wasn't having fun anymore. Like, dude, you're be a professional. Like, sometimes being a professional, if you're getting paid to do a job, it's not always fun. But you got to just do it. And it just seemed to me that he didn't really just want to put in the work to, to be as successful as he as he's been in a lot of other things. I mean, he did this with coaching the Lakers back in the day in the mid-90s. They ended on a losing streak. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore and step down. It, it's just it's just weird, weird actions from Magic Johnson, and Laker fans are distraught over this. I mean, the state of the Lakers right now being like the model franchise and, and the banner franchise in the NBA, it's just, it's really tough times in Lakerland. And we're not really sure how much LeBron and Clutch Sports had to do with it. it there's just so many questions that need answers to. But just a weird story and magic on a night where Dwayne Wade and uh, Dirk Nowitzki were retiring. We'll get into them in a second. Just like magic hijacked the night and it was just weird. And yeah, if he decides that he just wanted to step down so he can just continue being Magic Johnson, the uh, fun-loving, affable guy who, you know, succeeds at everything – that's fine, but just to do it in this manner was was just weird. It was really strange. As I mentioned before, two of the uh, all-time greats, two guys from my, I guess, childhood and young adult life, Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade, are hanging them up, and they both went out in style. I mean, Dirk scored uh, 30 points in his last game. Uh, Dwayne Wade ended with a triple-double. I mean, both those guys mean so much to their respective city. And, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki playing his whole career, 21 years with the Mavericks, is finishing with the sixth most points in NBA history, and one of the most unique players, and really ushered in a new era uh, of the NBA with uh, with big guys being able to shoot threes um, at the clip that they do. I mean, Dirk was really one of a kind, and, and he... And, what he means to Dallas, not just because of his play on the court, but because of what he did in the community, is just awesome. I mean, he is, you know, Dallas is Dirk, and Dirk is Dallas, and they are synonymous with each other. And Dwayne Wade, same kind of thing. I mean, guy was tough as nails. He uh, somehow convinced LeBron James, who was the best, you know, most coveted free agent in NBA history, to join him in his city. 
I mean, that's just unbelievable in terms of his accomplishments with the All-NBA teams, the All-Star games, three titles, a finals MVP. I mean, yeah, he left for Chicago because he was bitter about constantly taking a pay cut. And then um, he wanted to be paid requisite dollars. I get all that. And then he did a stint in Cleveland. That was weird. But he came back. So even if he did that like year and a half outside of Miami, he's really synonymous with Miami for not just his play on the court, but what he means to that community as well. Just great stuff from those guys. And I I will really miss watching those guys play. Shout out to two of the greats to ever do it. Dirk Nowitzki is one of the three or four greatest power forwards of all time. Dwayne Wade's one of the three or four greatest shooting guards of all time. It was it was an honor as a basketball fan to watch those guys play, and I'm definitely going to miss watching them going forward. And one last thing before we get into previewing the playoffs. In episode 45, I, I mentioned something about the Oklahoma City Thunder and their struggles. Well, they proceeded to go 7-3 and three in their last 10 games and seemed to uh, have found their stroke a little bit. Obviously, Paul George... And his shoulder injury uh, and maybe getting back to full strength or closer to full strength has a lot to do with that. But there was one performance that happened the week I recorded, right after I recorded, that I wanted to talk about uh, real quick before we get into uh, previewing the uh, the NBA playoffs. And uh, talking a little bit more with about Magic Johnson and his departure from the Lakers with a, uh, a certain recurring guest that you've uh, grown to know and grow fondly of. So... About a week and a half ago, Russell Westbrook notched a 20-20-20 game. 20 points, 20 rebounds, 20 assists for a unique triple-double. And, I mean, just an unbelievable accomplishment because before that game, it had only been done once before, and that was by Wilt Chamberlain in the late 60s. So anytime you're synonymous with Wilt Chamberlain when it comes to statistics, that's pretty incredible because Wilt basically wrote the book. Like, say what you want about Wilt Chamberlain and if he was selfish or not, but when it comes to stats, like, Wilt is one of the guys that is just, like, on, you know, he wrote all, almost all the record books at one point. So just an unbelievable accomplishment by Russell Westbrook. But that that doesn't even do it justice, just the numbers alone, because of the context of of when it occurred and and I guess why it occurred. So for those who uh, monitored the news a little bit, and and I never really was big on on this guy, but rapper and, and philanthropist Nipsey Hussle, somebody who uh, was from the Inglewood, Compton area, uh, friends with Russell Westbrook, was part of the uh, Rolling 60s gang and turned his life around and really dedicated his life to becoming, you know, not just a successful musician, but somebody who was going to uplift his community. Uh, he saw the light and he saw that, you know, he needed to, you know, be a beacon of light for for change and, and for good in his community and really tried hard to do that. And, and sadly, he was gunned down in front of a clothing store that he owned. The story goes that he was meeting a friend of his who was getting out of jail and he was going to help clean him up by getting him, you know, a wardrobe to get him started with, uh, you know, new job to get him on his feet. He was gunned down outside of his store. Just, just a tragedy, you know, exceedingly sad story. And uh, Nipsey and Russell Westbrook were tight. Russell Westbrook being, you know, a kid growing up in California, not necessarily the best part of L.A., you know, looked up to Nipsey. Um, so then Russell Westbrook basically goes out and says he's going to honor Nipsey by getting – a 2020-20 game. You know, uh, Nipsey was part of the rolling 60s uh, gang. 20 plus 20 plus 20 equals 60. So just think about it this way. Like Russell Westbrook goes out and calls his shot for something that has been done only once before. Goes out and calls his shot and tallies those stats. That's basically like Babe Ruth, the story of Babe Ruth hitting two home runs for the kid who was sick, you know, promising the kid two home runs when he visited him in the hospital. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Unbelievable to call your shot for something that is, hasn't been done only but once. Just an inc- a crazy story and an unbelievable accomplishment. But it just goes to, and you wonder why, and Russell Westbrook is so divisive in terms of his style of play, people who give him crap about that he's hunting numbers. Like, 
I don't care if you're hunting numbers. To get 20 rebounds, especially for a 6'3 guard, is impossible. It is so incredibly difficult to go and throw yourself in the middle of all the big men who are routinely 6'9 and above and go in and grab those rebounds. That's an effort thing. Like, I don't care if you steal one or two off the free throw line or whatever. That is unbelievable. And then to get 20 assists, you're dependent on your teammates to make shots for 20 assists. Uh, incredible, incredible game. And and people then throw shade because he didn't shoot the ball well for his 20 points, and I get all that. But, like, you know, not everything about affecting the way you win a basketball game is about scoring points. And, yeah, Russell takes some, some bad shots, and he's only shooting, like, 29% from three this year, and the shooting numbers are rough. I get all that. But... That guy affects winning in more ways than just one. And for people to, you know, and it's a lot of like the stat nerds who think that like shooting efficiency is like the only stat in the book anymore. To then like throw shade at Russell Westbrook that he doesn't affect winning. And people roll their eyes that he accumulates these stats and that he's averaged a triple-double for three straight years, where before he did it, it hadn't been done since Oscar Robertson in the 60s. Like, that that is some small feat. I know we've grown numb to it because the sheer numbers are just ridiculous. Like, to do that night in and night out and to play the way he plays with the effort that he plays with, I mean, we've grown numb to it, and, and it's really sad. I mean, let alone the fact that the Russell Westbrook detractors will point to the, the shooting numbers, and, and, and they've been bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It, it. it hasn't been pretty, and he takes some shots that are, are, are just curious, but they won't point out the fact that he has you know, contributed to over 20 uh, theoretical assists a game, and, and a theoretical assist is an actual assist or an assist or a pass that led to a wide open shot for a teammate that he may have missed. He had 20.4 of those a game. The next closest guy had 16. So that is four more than the next closest guy. What Russell Westbrook does is is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, he's he's like the evolutionary Allen Iverson in terms of a guy who goes out and busts his ass every single night. It may not look pretty, and sometimes he can, you know, the effort and the desire to win and the anger that he plays with can shoot him in the foot, but give me that guy in my foxhole more often than not than the guy who's apathetic about winning and about playing hard. Russell Westbrook doesn't cheat his fans. He goes out and tries to kill it every single night with a ferocity that nobody else in the league has. So yeah, the shooting numbers aren't great, and and for them to make a real run in the playoffs, he needs to be better. But to then, you know, for the detractors to then crap on Russell Westbrook for stat hunting, I mean, how many times has LeBron James had a 20-rebound game? He's 6'8", and we talk about LeBron as being one of the great all-around players in terms of filling the box score and stuffing the stat sheet. How many 20-rebound games does LeBron James have? None. Zero in his career. And that's not a knock on LeBron. It's just getting 20 rebounds in a game is really freaking hard. And to do it at 6'3 is incredible. And then in the same game to have 20 assists... It's just nothing short of remarkable. And it just bothers me that these stat nerds who have never picked up a basketball in their life or played ball in any sort of, you know, above middle school level to not appreciate what this guy's doing and then to use the 2020-20 game as the prime example of stat hunting and all the things that's problematic with Russell Westbrook's game you're just missing the forest from the trees. It's it's just you can tell who appreciates ball players because they've played, because they know how hard it is to do what he does. And, and the stat nerds just don't get it. And it's just another example of why I always believe that even as flawed as he is, the eye test will always win out. And we you gotta appreciate the greatness when you see it. And and 
shooting percentages and quote-unquote efficiency is not the end-all and be-all in terms of winning basketball. With that said, we're going to jump into our interview with um, recurring guest Rob Carpellis to talk a little Magic Johnson to preview the first round of the NBA playoffs. All right, um, a recurring guest, somebody who I traveled to the West Coast to uh, watch him walk down the aisle. Uh, None other than uh, Mr. Uh, Laker fan, uh, Kobe enthusiast, Mr. Robert Carpellis. Rob, before we get started with the NBA playoffs, uh, it's never dull in Lakerland right now. So, um, your thoughts? I don't even. I wish I, I knew I like where like where to begin. My anger right now is, you know. Probably at a 10 out of 10. I think most Laker fans are pretty upset. I actually was, it's so crazy. Like, I was driving the other day, and I, you know, my phone buzzes, and I, you know, I try not to look at my phone when I drive, and I look down, and I see it. I see Magic Johnson, you know, to walk away. So, my first reaction was, like, it, it makes sense. Like, I thought at some point he would walk away, but I actually thought it would be in a year from now. So I thought he would not strike out this off season, but, like, we'd get, you know, we'd pick up somebody like a Jimmy Butler type of pickup or a Kemba Walker, which isn't bad on, you know, on the surface, but in the sense that, like, you know, he strikes out on AD and goes for option B, and Lakers, as a result, are sort of, like, disoriented again few of the veterans leave, they make a couple other weird pickups, and they get tossed maybe in, like, the first round of next season, and Magic's sort of in this limbo state where he's like, okay, I can't really pick up anybody. I've kind of made the team a little bit better with, like, LeBron and, let's say, like, Jimmy Butler, and I've done all I can, and I'm not really, like, this GM who's going to be able to, like, see the vision through and, you know, make sure that we're, like, in good hands for years to come, but I picked up a couple of good guys, and I want to get back to my life, and I'm done. So it makes sense, like, and I even think I said it on your podcast last time that he would go. I, I when I when I thought about it and I wrapped my head around it, I, I got to a point later in the evening where I was like, why is he? Leave? It's like something must have happened that we don't know about yet for him to want to leave now. Because if you think about it, one of the things that he was talking about was that he loves to close deals, right? Like he wants to get back to that life. Like that's where he's good. And then, of course, he, he gave himself a hat tip for, for picking up LeBron. So if that's his thing, if, like, if that's where he feels like he thrives, why would you not? And he knows, too, that, you know, like guys are, you know, like Laker fans or he's like this beloved guy. And now, all like, you know, a lot of Laker fans are, are hitting on him. He doesn't want to be known as that. For as, like, competitive as he is, and I've heard and read a lot of things that he's just, he's like a vicious business guy who's super determined, which is great. Then why not say, you know what, like, the draft is coming up free agency's coming up. Like, if this is the time where he thinks he can be most valuable, why not try to do something this offseason? Like, like, even, like, I don't buy the Luke thing. Like, okay, so if Luke stays, he didn't want to fire Luke, right? Because if he's like, I fired Luke, that's going to go against Jeannie, and that's going to be tough for her, so therefore i got to walk away because I don't want to hurt Jeannie. Like, why can't you just keep Luke? Like, did he, did he really want to get rid of Luke that badly that he's willing to walk away? I don't buy that at all. Like, why not keep Luke? Even though, like, right, he doesn't want to do it. We all have jobs, right? We have to do certain things and certain deal with certain issues that we might not want to deal with. Keep Luke. And then say, you know what, let me get somebody this offseason. Let me see what I can do. Let me make a nice Lakers have a lottery pick. And then by next year, like, even walking away, like, somewhere in the middle of next year, at the end of next year, at least he can say, like, I brought two superstars to L.A. I got a good draft pick. I cleared some cap space. We're now a second-round team. When I got here, we were bottom seller of the NBA. And then walk away. Like, that was the time, and he's walking away right at the time where he could probably be most valuable. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Something else must have happened that we don't know about, and maybe he was fired, and this was his way of walking away. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was something with Polinka. Maybe it was something. I, I, have, I do follow this one guy. I'm not going to name his name. But I follow this one guy on Twitter who apparently used to be some sort of, like, consultant for the Lakers, and he tweets out all the time about how Magic is he's, he's, he's a vicious competitor and he's how he treats employees and he's very tough. And so it's hard for me to think of a guy who this is almost like Magic's dream job as the president of the Lakers, 
and who, who, who wants nothing more than like make the Lakers great to all of a sudden have this epiphany like, oh, you know what, I'm going to walk away because I really want to fire the coach and I don't want to make it awkward for Jeannie Buss. Like, that's, that, that's the, like, no, I, I don't buy it. It's frustrating. Um, and now hearing that Polinka's going to stay, um, storyteller Rob Polinka, uh, I mean, unless, unless like, Laker fans, I'll, I'll tell you this about Laker fans, we get a lot of slack and, it, and it's granted because early on, I, I think we're so blinded by the mystique of, like, Lakers and magic and, you know, throwback to, you know, like, we, we always think as Laker fans we're going to find a way. Like, we're the Lakers, right? We'll find a way. We'll get great again. We'll start to win again. It's that, we'll Lakers, it exce- it's that Lakers exceptionalism. Exactly, exactly. But then I think what happens is, and that's early, like, early on when there's something going on, that's how we view it. But then later on down the road we start to think, huh, like, the, we get it now. Like, in the beginning when Magic traded D'Angelo, I think a lot of Laker fans that I knew were like, great, Magic knows what he's doing, D'Angelo's uh, an embarrassment, Magic's not going to not let anybody push us around. But now I think, like, Laker fans have caught on to, like, huh, this doesn't, this isn't working. And we want this guy out. And I think that's what happened with Polinko, where it was like, no, this is Kobe's guy. Like, if, it's, if Kobe trusts him, like, we trust him. Like, Kobe is, like, the, the, the all of the Lakers, Right. But now it's gotten to the point where it's like every time you hear Rob uh, Rob Polinka's story, it's negative. Every time he signs a guy, he tells some childhood story, which doesn't make any sense. It seems like he's on coke or something like that. I'm not saying he is, but he just he, he's a very interesting character. And there hasn't been one deal that he's made since he's been here, since he's been here, that Laker fans have looked at it and it's like, ah, oh, it's a good trade, it's a good draft pick, that's a good decision. Um, I mean, the Zubac thing was guy, a center who the Lakers needed and was finally playing well and was traded for nothing. And then you get reports that, you know, Jerry West and guys were laughing. So I don't know what the angle is, what, what, and, you know, it all points back, I guess, to Jeannie Buss, who runs the team, and she's making the decisions. Maybe she sees something that she likes. Maybe, I don't know, but it's, there's, like, the, it, this all started when the Lakers gave Kobe Bryant that ridiculous contract, that $40 million for two years after he snapped his Achilles, mm-hmm. and that was, that was what Jeannie's doing. And it's just spiral. Every decision that she's made has not been good. Like, every coach, GM, firing Mitch, hiring Palinka, getting rid of D'Angelo, Magic walking away, like, none of it looks good. There's nothing that's in her favor where you're like, huh, okay, like, she knows what she's doing, and yeah, like people mess up and make mistakes, but when it's one after the other, when you, the owner of the Lakers, so I don't know if the team should be sold. I, I, I just am not optimistic in any of this. So we have LeBron, and that's all we have. So well, I, well, here yeah. here are a couple of things from from an outsider's perspective. One, um, I mean, it was reported that Magic didn't tell anybody that he was doing this. Like, he basically saw a bunch of reporters, he got up there, and he made some incoherent speech that made him sound like a crazy person. So I don't think Jeannie forced him out. That's number one. Number two is, uh, I mean, when you talk about the D'Angelo Russell trade, um, you and I were on the right side of history of this because we spoke about this before when it went down. We we were on uh, it was a couple of days later. And we were like, y- you don't sell off an asset for cap space. I mean, you see that example over and over again come back to bite you because as much as and that was like the epitome of Lakers exceptionalism because like we're the Lakers everybody's going to want to sign here so that was that's two three uh at at this point you know the the way i see it is and i don't see the genie bus ever selling the team because this is their family business now right the Lakers are their primary source of income and family business. So it's like while they've made a lot of money and the Lakers make tons of money, I mean they're not liquid like say a Steve Ballmer, like say a you know the other owners in the league. I mean their primary business is basketball related income. So I, I can't imagine her just like selling the team. Um and just walking away, but that also affects who they could maybe bring it in Magic's place because there's no salary cap for paying executives. So it's like, do they have the unlimited pockets to go after somebody, say like a uh, Sam Presti and Masai Ujiri, for example? 
Uh, the other thing is, is that, you know, where where do you think they should go with this position? Because, like, to me, it, you got a clean house. Like, you can't have Rob Polinka there. Like, you have to get somebody who is outside the Laker family. 100, yeah. No, I mean, there's 100%. They need to get, they've, and, I, and Mitch was doing this, Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, when, 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 when they were the, you know, GM and president um, a few years ago. They were, they were doing this thing where it was like, like, when they would have pitch meetings, for example, right? And you'd read about it. You'd say, you know, Lakers are courting, like, the Marcus Aldridge during free agency. And they'd have, like, James Worthy in there. And Magic, and this is before Magic was the president, Kareem came, and all these things. And it's like, you know, almost like selling the lore of the Lakers as the reason to come. And it's like, like even when I would when I would be, you know, like following that on Twitter or reading that or seeing that on TV, and I'd be like, like, Mitch knows better. Like, Mitch is not. Mitch is supposed to be, Kupchak's supposed to be the smart one. Like, why is he bringing in, like, James Worthy to a pitch meeting with Marcus Aldridge? who probably could care less about how good James Worthy was or what is, you know, you know Mark at all, Aldridge, that's seen there, oh, wow, James Worthy's here. Wow, I, I really need to sign with this Lakers team. Like, who cares, you know? And so my point is, the Lakers have seen, like, they've played this card of where the Lakers and Mystique and the championships and Jerry Buss and all Chick Hearn and all these things, but, like, these guys don't care. I don't know if they ever care. They certainly don't care now, and... You cannot bring in, like, and that's what the Magic hire was, right? Like, Magic Johnson, keep it in the family. I think Luke Walton hire was that to some extent. Like, an ex-Laker, and he's he won championships with Kobe, and guys are going to respect him more, and yada, yada. And, like, it, it doesn't work, you know? So I agree with you 100%. They need to pick someone who, I don't even care if that person's never even heard of the Lakers before. Just somebody who knows what they're doing. I mean, Gary West is probably the only guy who I would have been like, that's fine because it's Jerry West, you know, ex-Laker, but... He's um, 81 years else, old. He doesn't want to do the right. day-to-day. Fine, fine. So, I, no, you're right. Anybody anybody who... I mean, who's the Warriors guy? I always forget his name. He's the guy that, like, the Lakers want Polinka to be, like, somebody who's, like, like an ex-lawyer who understands, like, the CBA stuff, who gets the numbers, who... Like, that's, I think, what they were going for with Polinka. Um, Bob Myers. I, I, I mean, don't know Bob. Who else is out there? But, Bob but, Myers yeah. was, you know, was an agent before he took the job. There you um, go, yeah. So just like Palinka was, but sure. I mean, I, I I witnessed this what you're going through right now with the Knicks because the Knicks have tremendous exceptionalism as well, and they don't even have the success that the Lakers have had because they play in the most famous arena in the country, the most valuable franchise in the country, and we think that everybody's just going to want to come here because we're the New York Knicks, and and New Yorkers are, you know, and New York is the best. They're the capital of the world. We're the epicenter of everything. And, and that's... It couldn't be more true in terms of just like staying in the family with you know when when Dolan gave Phil Jackson sixty million dollars. I mean the 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 mirror between Magic Johnson's tenure and Phil Jackson's tenure with the Knicks it's it's startling. You know it's it's a guy who's been successful with the organization was a beloved player. I mean Magic is the most beloved Laker of all time. I mean Phil Jackson you know doesn't compared to what Magic was with the Lakers when he was with the Knicks. But it was the same kind of thing. It was an icon who had ties to the franchise who was just going to come in. But ultimately, like, Phil Jackson didn't work because he didn't want to do the work. And Magic, for being as competitive as he is, reports were he didn't travel. He didn't want to travel. So half the job, you know, going into the draft and free agents is scouting. Like, you have to be willing to grind it out and scout. If Magic wants to take a month and a half off and vacation in Europe and, like, in France and in Greece, you know, he's Magic Johnson and he's successful. He should be able to do that, but then don't take the job. You know, yeah. Phil Jackson but, didn't but want I to... Think it was, but I, but it, was, it, was, it had to have been something else. I, I don't know if it was he wanted to go back to his... Like, I think something internally happened that was out of his control. Like, maybe there was favoritism towards Polinka. Maybe there was, uh, you know, some people didn't like his style. Like, it's hard to imagine that Magic, Lakers, president, and he's like, oh, I don't really, I, I would think a guy like him would be like, no, 
I want to be here day to day. I want to be involved in it. I've, I've heard say, like, I've read things that he's a control freak, that he's, that when he came in the first day, he fired a ton of staff that he didn't like. So it's just weird because he came out and said, yeah, I don't want to be here and I want to get back to my old life and have a great life. But then it doesn't fit. The ma- I think the media, like, is missing that. They're just going with the story, but somebody's not doing, like, enough reporting to say, like, what happened here? Like, why at the end of the season? Why, that, that, to me, is, it's, it's, especially right before free agency. Like, if there's any time, like, it's not, like, why? Now, like, what free agent is going to be like, oh, yeah, the Lakers, I want to go there now. It looks like everything's, like, really, you know, going smoothly. Like, <laughs> if anything, he hurt the Lakers by what he's doing. So, well, Again, in the, well, in the short uh, run, in the short run, he probably yeah. did. But, you know, if and I think he was trying to protect his reputation as being a closer, because if he was going to go into a, you know, if he was not even going to get a Durant meeting like that's a black guy, if he's not going to get sure. Kawhi, that's a black guy. So I figured he was going to cut bait now because he kind of saw what the landscape was not to take a chance to actually yeah. help his reputation, you know, keep his reputation as a closer intact. But, I mean, he sounded like a crazy person in the press conference. So my question to you is this. Is what role do you think LeBron and Clutch Sports played in this magic stepping down? Do you think that, you know, Rich Paul trying to flex his muscle just like pissed magic off to the point where he wanted out? And what do you do with this looming LeBron situation at the moment? Do you... Go all in on the Rich Paul clutch sports. Try and get David Griffin, you know, a, a, a smart guy, but who's worked with LeBron. Do you get Teron Lu, who's a yes man to LeBron, and or do you, or do you do what many think is radical, which I don't think is so radical, considering he has a no trade clause. You know, do you cut bait with LeBron? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say like they're not they're not going to trade LeBron. I, I I hear you. Um, it's funny because. I know I bring up Kobe a lot, but people were saying that, you know, after Kobe tore his Achilles, and I was like, oh, you're nuts, you're crazy. But uh, it may have even been before. I think, like, Mark Cuban had that famous, like, amnesty thing, right? And I was like, oh, it's nuts. But, you know, you look back on it, obviously, you know, God forbid the Lakers ever traded Kobe, but it may have actually been a smart thing. So you're right, like, trading LeBron, I think it's similar, you know, star who they could get a lot for, kind of tilting towards the end of his career, or his prime, like, yeah, but in theory, like, you know, especially with the Lakers, they're not going that route. Um, If, in terms of other options, like, with LeBron, I don't, the clutch sports thing, like, I'll be honest, I don't know, it, the Anthony Davis thing was weird. It was weird. It was also weird that certain names that Magic had always said that he loved, like, Magic is super high on Brandon Ingram. He always has been. So it was weird when I was seeing, like, Brandon Ingram's name in trade talks, especially when he was starting to play well. Um, so was his hand forced? And maybe that's what sort of got to him. Like, where, you know, he's like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be for, you know, maybe he didn't get along with LeBron. I, I have no idea what that relationship was like. And they definitely did a good job of, of, of keeping it tight knit. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that could have played a role. I have no idea. What should they do? Um, I mean, I think you do have to be all in, unfortunately, on the LeBron train. So if it's, if it's David Griffin, if it's Tyrone Liu, if it's – yeah, I mean, you, you ha- if, you're, if you're not going to trade LeBron, then you kind of have to go all in to what, to what he wants, right? You have to sort of play that game. You can't, you can't develop young talent at the same time as trying to win a championship with LeBron James. It's not going to work. Like, LeBron's goal is not like, oh, I've won X amount of titles with the Lakers. I'm good to just work with these young guys and sort of see them off into the sunset and leave the team in a better place than when I left. Like, he's not going to do it like Nowitzki, for example, did in, in, in Dallas, you know, even if he's playing at a higher level than Nowitzki. He's not in on that. So if it means giving away some of the younger guys, if it means, you know, getting the guys that he wants, you know, if there's a way you can make it, and that's why you need a seasoned GM who sort of understands the game, and I think LeBron and maybe even Polinka to a certain extent were caught off guard, um, then that's what you need because I don't I don't know what the other route is other than trading him. Because um, like I said, LeBron likes to play this game of I'm in on the young guys, I love the young guys, and then all of a sudden you hear the next day, right, like 
Lakers are willing to trade half their team for, for Anthony Davis. Well, there's, then, no, there's no doubt in my mind that LeBron was behind that. So, well, if you're going all in on LeBron, then just be prepared to have a four-year max offered to Chris Middleton and or a four-year max offered to Jimmy Butler or a four-year max to um, – and not even so much Kemba Walker because I think Kemba Walker is going to get that other places. But you're going to have to be ready for that. But en- enough that's about what it is. But what, yeah. what's the alternative though? Like what's alter- There's no alternative. Like you, you're right. It's that. It's that's bad. It's bad. Like that doesn't. Kemba, we're not Kemba. Like Jimmy Butler and LeBron James and Ingram and Lonzo and all. That's a six-seven seed in the West. Or like, you're right. Or if you know if, I mean, and a lot of things could happen over the summer. We're gonna we're gonna leave off with this. But like Demarcus Cousins should be in the mix if if things go break a certain way with the Warriors. But, I mean, personally, I think the Lakers are are screwed. They're absolutely screwed, and uh, we'll, we'll end that there because I agree. There's, I agree. there's nothing, you know, nothing else to say. So let, let's go into the teams that sort of matter. Um, the, uh, the playoffs are upon us this weekend. Um, first things first, which first-round series um, excites you the most of all the series? For sure, for sure, for sure, OKC Portland. I think that's most people's probably favorite series. I'm well, that's saying. my that's my favorite answer, also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm all, all go contrarian, just to you know. I am a little bit. We can go back to that series. I, I'm a little bit intrigued. I know you're gonna think I'm crazy. I am intrigued by the Nuggets Spurs matchup um, because I could see that. I really could see that going. I think that's a seven game series, and I'm interested to see Denver squad. Like every time the Lakers play Denver this year, I'm like, okay, that's. Like, that's a winnable game. I think we could do that. And then I watched the game, and I'm like, oh, wow, Denver's really good. So now they're a two-seed, and Pop always, like, right, can 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 manage a series where he can fi- figure out a way to get his team up. So I'm, I'm excited for that because I think that, to me, is going to be the closest series. Like, that's a series. So, yeah, I mean, Denver, it's funny because the way the matchups broke out with that side of the bracket – uh, Oklahoma City, who, and we'll talk about them a little bit uh, going forward, but, you know, at their peak, you know, if they max out in terms of their potential with George and Westbrook, like, they have the most upside of all the bottom five, bottom, I should say, bottom four teams in the West, right? Like, that's for certain. But they don't match up with Denver at all. So the way it shook out, like, Denver wanted to play Oklahoma City because they handled them four times in the regular season. And now Oklahoma City gets Portland, who, as great as Damian Lillard is, uh, I mean, they lost Nurkic. They lost C.J. McCollum. I mean, it couldn't have broken better for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, and they, they went like 4-0 against them this season too, right? Yeah. So it's, no, you're right. Yeah, it's, but... I do think Portland's a better team than they were last year. And I, I just, you know, it's funny. I always used to to love, to love trust Russell Westbrook in a, in a seven-game series. Now it's like the opposite. I'm like, I could see him shooting the Thunder out of a seven-game series. Like, if he gets cold, that's it. That offense is done because then it's all on Paul George. And then, and that's, I mean, so it's just, you know, that's that's where I, I, I actually think Portland wins that series. Really? Yeah. Really. Yeah, I like Portland. Yeah. We'll um we'll get into the predictions in a little bit, but uh, so yeah, are there is there any? I mean, that's if I had to rank them uh, in terms of my my favorite series right now. Obviously, that's one. Um, I think Houston and Utah is two. Um, Denver and uh, San Antonio is three. Uh, I mean, I I kind of like the Philly Nets thing. Um, and then I would say give me the Celtics Pacers if I had to round out the top five. I mean, I think the top of the East, Milwaukee and Toronto, are going to walk over Orlando and Detroit, respectively. I yeah, think Golden yeah. State's going to walk over to the Clippers. But, you know, there's a lot I mean, of— you know, what's funny? you know what's funny? I like the Warriors-Clippers a lot. Not in the sense of, like, who's going to win. Like, we, know, we all know who's going to win the series. But I can see the Clippers still in a game or two. Like they've played, they've played the war. I think a couple games they got blown out, but a couple games they played pretty close. And it's one of those series where I could see like classic Warriors like let down a little bit, and Clippers are hungry, and Doc is a great coach, and all of a sudden like, boom, right? They steal a game or two. Just like something interesting. I feel like that you'll see in the first round is like that 
series all they go six games. Well, the the Clippers the Clippers definitely like they play hard, they play smart. Um, Doc has done a tremendous job. Uh, I just you know I think the Warriors kick it into high gear, so that really doesn't interest me at all uh, to yeah. start. Um, so which uh, so I mean we spoke about this a little bit, you know. So bottom four seed that you think has the best upset potential. Um, you would say o- Oklahoma City in terms of upsetting Portland. Would you say has the most upset potential? I think no. I think Spurs. Spurs, because yeah. of the youth. So yeah. so then yeah. you know you would say Denver has the um, you know should know be the most worried. For, and I don't know if Denver's built for the playoffs. When yeah. your best guy is a big guy like that, you know, mm-hmm. in this day and age of a day of guards and shooters, it's like you know, are they like they played well against their division? They won the games that they were supposed to win. They didn't have the greatest record against the better teams in the league. When they matched up against, like, you know, Houston or, or, or Warriors, they got smacked. So I can see them as, like, I think Memphis was similar, like, five or six years back where they had, like, the, the two or the one seed and then played the Spurs and lost. Yeah, I, I mean... Oh, no, sorry, the other way around, the other way around, where the Spurs were sort of, like, still built around Duncan at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, because Memphis <laughs> yeah, was a, yeah. was the eight seed and, and took That's them out. Meant. That's what I meant. So I could see something similar where it's like, you know, Denver built for the regular season and, like, with the Spurs youth, and they win that series. I mean, you can never count Popovich out, right? Yeah, I mean, first yeah. of all, the Spurs have made the playoffs 22 straight years. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? Yeah, it's insane. That's absolutely insane. The Denver thing is interesting because they have a lot of guys I like, just like random dudes, like Malik Beasley, like Gary Harris. Um, who else? You know, Will Barton. They have good wings. And and Jokic, Jokic is great. I mean, it, it's really hard to win when your best player is a big who's not necessarily a dominant defensive player. You know, just because I'm not sure he'll be able to create, you know, the offense and he's got to anchor a defense and he's really, you know, a below average defensive player. But he's just so unique in terms of his offensive gifts that he's he's just difficult because, I mean, they smacked Oklahoma City around this year, you know, when everybody was healthy. But then against the other really good teams, they got smacked around. So they're just they're just weird. Um which player uh, do you think has the most at stake heading into the playoffs? Um, and, and which team for that matter? Just in terms of perception around the league, in terms of legacy, you know, which player and which team do you think has the most pressure and the most at stake? So team is it's, – so the team to me that has the most pressure I think is, is pretty clear. It's not the team that most people think, but then the player I got a two-way tie. So – the team, I think most people would say the Celtics. I actually think the Rockets are that team because, like, they're a two-seater. I mean, excuse me, they're a four-seed, which is good for them because they'll be a little bit healthier if they face the Warriors in the second round, which which is what they right? Like, the longer Chris Paul goes in the playoffs, the more susceptible he is to probably getting hurt, right? So, to me, it's like they – they, they pretty much had their window last year when they were a one seed, and that window is, like, it's closing more and more. So if, there, if there's ever a time where they're going to beat the Warriors, you could have said it was last year. I mean, Warriors are still playing well, but, but maybe it's this year because, like, how much longer does Chris Paul have left? And if he's still really good right now and Harden's still really good and they've got, right, they've got, like, the pieces there, not necessarily, like, they don't have a home court advantage, they don't have the one seed, they don't have necessarily what they had last year. They lost to Reza, et cetera. But if there's ever a time where they're going to be the champs and they're going to overcome the Warriors, it's probably now. The longer, right, more, the more years that go on, the less chance they're probably going to have. So that, to me, is, like, that's a whole ton of pressure. I don't see another team in the same vein as, like, okay, if they don't get it done, that's it for them. Like, if the Celtics don't win, I mean, we'll see what happens with Kyrie and if AD goes there and all that. But, like, I don't I don't look at the, the Celtics like I do the Warriors. I don't look at the Celtics and say, like, that's a championship team right now. I know a lot of people were high on them. I'm high on them. I was high on them before the season. But I never thought, like, to, to me, they were always a classic second or third round team, whereas the Rockets, I've always looked at as it's them and the Warriors. Like, it's Warriors, you know, far and above away. But the Rockets, if there's anybody that can beat them in a seven-game series, 
I still think only the only 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 the Rockets have a chance. Maybe the Bucks because of like the style that they play, um, and they've had success a little bit against some of the better teams. But I I I don't see that happening. So to me, that's a lot of pressure when it's championship or bust, especially when you got to go up against the Warriors. And if they don't win. How do we think of Harden? How do we think of Chris Paul? How do we think of D'Antoni's system? And then where do the Rockets go from here, right? Do they just retool and come back? It's a tough sell. So a lot of pressure. The guy who's got the most pressure in general, I think, is, you know, surely Harden, but then also I think obviously Kyrie. So mm. is, right, is he a superstar? Is, I mean, he's a superstar, but is he, can he take his team to a title? He's still in that shadow of LeBron. Right, the Celtics have been right. He's been he's been weird all year. The Celtics have been weird all year, and a lot of people still favor. I don't know what the Vegas odds are, but a lot of people still favor the Celtics. Like that I've spoken to or just looked at, like analyst picks. A lot of them still think the Celtics are in the East. So if they get bounced early, right, if he starts to think, okay, maybe I don't need to be here, and then is there a different perception of Kyrie, and is he looked at as right? Like does he go from like if he gets to the finals? It's like, wow, Kyrie's a superstar. Him and LeBron were unbelievable together. It was 1A and 1B. Kyrie is, is, is up there with the top, you know, names in the league. But if they lose, right, and they lose early, then it's like, okay, he's, he can't lead a team to a championship. He can't do it on his own. He needs, right, he's not going to lie. He needs other superstars around him. A point guard never can't be the best player in the league. And then all of a sudden, the entire perception of, to me, this is a huge, huge postseason for him, and probably the first one where he's healthy with Boston and a team of his own. So I, I, I think he's going to go off, and I think he's going to be one of those guys. There's always one guy in the postseason, sometimes more, but there's usually one guy like um, who who is like must see TV every night. Who all of a sudden is like, oh wow, look at look what Kyrie's doing with that team, or look at what X player is doing with that team. And I think Kyrie is going to be that guy where every night he is the must-watch guy. It was Harden a few years ago. It was. It's always somebody. This year, I think it's him. It's funny you said. It's funny you said Boston and Kyrie because I didn't have them anywhere close. Because I think Kyrie, you know, he's already won. He's hit the big shot. Like, it's not a big deal. I mean, I think Boston at this point is so frustrated with him and his antics that if he comes back great if not like they're not going to they're not going to cry over it um cuz they've played well without him uh it, it's funny you say Boston can easily go to the finals i mean the, the advanced metrics like net rating they love the Celtics but there's something That's about the eye, right. right but the eye test you know it just doesn't look right and to quote my guy Ryan Rosillo who basically i i find myself agreeing with almost all of his you know, opinions. It's like they just do dumb stuff. You know, they just do dumb things that even with well, the- they lose. They lose games that they shouldn't lose. Like they're Dr. Jekyll. You'll watch them. Like I've I've actually watched a lot of Celtics games this year, and you'll watch them one night and you'll be like, wow, that's good tonight. Like that's the Celtics team. You know? And then you'll watch them a week later. You'll see highlights. And be like, oh, God, like you said, is that what's wrong with them? So maybe play. Maybe playoffs is like you know. I know they just lost. You know, Marcus Smart, but. I, I, you know, it's different time in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't see it. I, I just, I just don't see it with them. I think, you know, there, there's a chemistry thing that's just off, and I, I'm not picking them to lose in the first round, but I wouldn't be surprised. The team to me, and I'll start with, uh, I guess, number two I have in terms of pressure team is Toronto. Because, you know, I think they're auditioning for um, to keep Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I think they really need to make a, a deep run to impress him, to have him not jump to the Clippers. Uh, Interesting. I agree I, with that. I agree with that a lot. I actually, I think you're 100% right. But I, and... That, that he would, right in the sense that if they lose early... He's going to the Clippers. I do think that. Yeah, and with, with Pascal Siakam becoming, you know... A budding star, like it won't be the worst because the Kyle Lowry contract is easily movable. Like they're not in a bad spot if Kawhi decides he wants to leave, but you don't want to lose Kawhi Leonard for nothing. Of course. Of um, course. the team that, and I agree with you, the team under the most pressure is the Rockets because you know if they really wanted to take care of business, 
they had to get that two seed to play San Antonio first round. And they didn't. And now, potentially, you're going to lose. You know, they have a tough first round series as it is with Utah because Utah has the second best, uh, you know, point differential and net rating since the All-Star break. Um, And if they lose in the second round to Golden State, you know, James Harden is, you know, is being lauded as like one of the greatest guards of all time. But like he's got a very spotty playoff history. Um, and Chris Paul has a very spotty playoff history. And with the two of those guys making the money that they're making, they're pretty much locked in. Like they don't have flexibility to do anything else. So I think the Rockets. You know what I I say about like one, if you want to be like one of the greats, you've got to win even just once. Like think about all the players that we say are like the, you know, some of the best players ever. This is my rule. I call it Robert's rule. You've got to win a playoff series that you're not supposed to win. One time. You got yeah. to, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, like Harden's got to pull off the impossible. And then, he doesn't have to do it every year. But we have to have something to remember. It's like when LeBron beat the Pistons with Cleveland. Like, he got over that, like, and Harden, you're right, Harden, Paul, they haven't done it yet. Even with Paul and the Clippers, never did it. Always, always lost at the big series. Yeah, always. And and Harden had his chance against the Spurs that year and gagged and had a chance against the Warriors last year and gagged in Game 7. Yep. And yep. I think he's got the brightest light in terms of being under the microscope. And the other one is Russell Westbrook because he's such a divisive player in terms of style that he can't have a garbage, you know, first round and out again. Like, you just can't. Yeah, but it, that yeah. that pales into comparison with Harden because you know Paul George re-upped and they can just figure it out. So uh, we'll let you go on this because you've been so generous with your time. Yeah, uh, I will say one thing though. One thing about Westbrook though, which is interesting, is like if Durant was in Westbrook's situation, like if he was with Oklahoma City and not getting by the first round, like he would be so trapped. Because we we right, we used to argue, not you and I, but like the right, it was always like who's better, like. You know, Westbrook or Durant, like who's who's the best player on that team? Who should the Thunder prioritize? And like clearly the answer like you have now is it, it's it's Durant. Because if Durant was on the Thunder and they weren't getting out of the first round, he'd be he'd be tarnished. But Westbrook, you give a pass because it's, the expectation isn't there. It's just interesting that like thinking, Wow, Westbrook can't get out of the first round and it's just yeah. It's it. They'll be fascinating to watch, but I do think Houston's got the biggest spotlight on them in terms of, you know, pressure. So uh, yeah. let's go through the East real quick. Um, Milwaukee, Detroit, you're picking Milwaukee five games at most, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Toronto, Orlando, same thing. I even think that's a sweep. Yeah. Although I, I like all that. I, Orlando's a fun team, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and Detroit would be fun if Blake Griffin was healthy because he's been great all year, but um, I just don't see it. Philly, Brooklyn. The hipsters love Brooklyn, but... Yeah, Philly's going to win that series. And Boston, Indiana. I think this yeah, is well, a seven-game yeah, seven series. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I see that too. Indy, Indy always brings their best, best play in the, in the postseason. But I want to pick Indiana, but I, I think Boston will take it. Golden State Clippers. Golden State. In in four or five. uh, I think that goes six. Really? Interesting. I'm going six. Interesting. Denver, San Antonio. Wow. This is like, this is the toughest one. Denver, but in seven games. What are the betting odds? I I tend to agree, but what are the betting odds on San Antonio to win the series? It's probably not. It's it's probably like you can probably get the Spurs at like a plus. I don't know, maybe two hundred or three hundred somewhere in that realm. Like I I don't think that they're they're probably not that big underdogs. Interesting, interesting. I'd imagine that. Portland, Oklahoma City. Who you got? Uh, the Blazers. Okay, well we differ there. I think the Thunder win in six. Yeah. And Houston, Utah. Uh, the Rockets. I like although, the, although another another seven game series. I like the Rockets in seven also. Yeah, it's craziness. Well, Rob, we're on the uh, the heels of NBA playoffs. You know, coming off a great NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, basketball never stops. It's good to talk to you, and um, 
Hopefully, um, we'll uh, recap uh, Lakers summer sometime soon. All right. Good talking, man. Thank you. I'll speak to you. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again to uh, my good buddy, Rob Carpellis. And that's episode 46 uh, playoff preview. Take us out, Remy Ma. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube